What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I am your host, Anthony Heller, and today we're hanging out with Tim Kill. Tim Kill is a blood has a blood tracking dog, Choco, and Tim looks for deer in the fall. Right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. So with this, that's what we're talking about today is blood tracking and things to do after the shot. Um, and before we hop into that, I just want to thank uh, a few quick sponsors, Venado, for your clothing. If you get looking for any outdoor lifestyle clothing. Um, that and you want to support a hunting-based company, Venado is a phenomenal uh, company to, to look into and look at their clothing. They have a, a few items that I really like, like their um, fleece. Um, their button-up fleece is just awesome. I wear it all the time in the fall. Uh, the other company, Vector Custom Shop, uh, they do great arrow work. If you're, if you're trying to get a high FOC arrow or you're trying to get a heavier arrow or you want to get a nice arrow setup, give them a ring, check them out. And lastly, Onyx Maps. If you're looking for public-private land boundaries, you want to have waypoints, GPS on your phone, on or offline, Onyx Maps is the way to go. They have some great features in there that can be really helpful for you. All right, so with that, hopping in. Um, so Tim, you got a you got a dog, Choco, that does blood tracking, and you've been doing it for how many years now? So my dog is uh, currently seven years old, and I started training with her when she was two. So I've been doing right. it five years and more than doubling my the number of tracks I do annually. Uh, so, yeah, we're, yeah. we're getting up into, we're approaching 100 tracks a, a year now, provided my body can keep up with it. <laughs> I know that my dogs can at the moment anyway. Right. Yeah, I know. And, and for everybody listening, we have um, Tim sent me over his track list. He keeps a, a, a detailed log of all of his tracks. And it looks like last year you did roughly 70. Yes. 70. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And not all of them. It's not uh, for everybody listening. When, when a blood tracker goes out, it is not a 100% recovery rate. It's actually far, far from it because a lot of the times things get mucked up and the only time Tim ever gets called is <laughs> when it's the worst situations, right? Yeah, we don't as a as a handler as a rule. There's exceptions to everything, of course, but as a rule, uh, if you just took the challenging tracks that we receive calls on, about thirty to forty percent of them will have a a deer that's expired within a reasonable period of time, uh, a trackable deer. Let's say sure. uh, that deer in some cases may expire in uh, four days, two weeks, whatnot. Uh, that's not a trackable deer. In, in the meantime, that mm. deer is fully capable of moving. And so um, it's unlikely that you, if, especially if you're able to push that deer as you get closer, yeah. uh, it's not a trackable deer. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, we ha so we have this list that Tim and I are going to kind of go over, but at the same time, I wanted to start in roughly the, the beginning uh, chronologically, like when when you shoot when you shoot your arrow. Um, so for everybody listening, if you've hunted for anything more than a few years, you've most likely made a bad hit on a deer. Everybody does it. It, it just happens. You know, you get all shaky. <laughs> you don't know what's going on. The wind blows. You hit a branch. Whatever. It is what it is. And I I know I've certainly um, got shot a few deer and lost a few deer in my life. So. Um, when when we're looking at a blood track and or we're looking at a deer that's hit you know the chronologically where i where i'm thinking to start is you shoot you shoot a deer and it takes off right so the next step there would then be 
I guess, how long do you, like, what are some, are there any identifiers that you, that we can talk about that say, like, this deer is hit well if you don't know where you hit? Yeah, well, a lighted knocks, absolutely. If you can, if it's legal to use them, I highly recommend them because that will help a great deal in identifying where, not only where uh, you likely hit that deer at, but if you get a pass through, you should be able to see where your arrow travels to. And there's a lot of evidence that can be gleaned from uh, viewing and smelling that arrow if you can recover it, or even if it's a part of an arrow. Sure. That may tell us a great deal about the hit site and so forth. So, yeah, okay. I, we we recommend lighted knocks if they're legal for in gotcha. this area. Yeah, and that'll that'll obviously give you a much better indication of where you hit, right? Sure. Um, so especially a lot of low light conditions, like it's hard. Yes. To, it's hard. It's, it's just really hard to see. The deer yeah. are most active for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay. So what about so lighted knocks would be the number one option. Um, what about if I know where I hit the deer? Like, say say I shoot it and I'm like, man, that looks that looks like double lung. Yeah. Um, do I Am I waiting 10 minutes? Am I waiting an hour? Am I waiting 45 minutes to get out of the tree and go check my arrow? Or if I'm if I'm certain of where I hit it? I, I would suggest based on experience and also be aware that as a handler, we don't get called unless it's something unusual happened. And you don't <laughs> sure. know as a hunter, as soon as you lose an arrow, you don't know if this is going to be a routine hunt or if this is going to be one that will be memorable. Yeah. that way and so uh, we recommend that you wait at least an hour calm down relive the shot make mental notes or if you've got a smartphone and you're one to rely upon notes yourselves uh, make note of how the deer reacted where you think you hit it what the shot angle was uh, do you believe you got a pass through uh, those type of things was the sure. deer alone uh, if you okay. have to bring in a tracking dog and there's multiple deer in that area, but there's one that you, of course, shot, you know, it, it's meaningful information where that one went versus where the others went. And oftentimes you see, if they run off, you see a bunch of yeah. flags, but it's really hard to tell which one is the flag of the deer your deer. target deer. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, I can imagine that being difficult in like a food plot scenario or, or something where like you have a big train of you know, you have a bunch of does coming through and then a buck following them or something yep. like that. And they all run off in the same direction through the woods. Yep. Yeah. Or you assume they all run off in the same direction, but yeah. you don't, that's even more of a challenge then. Yeah. I've noticed that in some of your, your track logs, it was, um, like, yeah, dog went, dog went North deer turned out going South. Yep. You know, and that's just, uh, it's like the deer comes up, does a big loop and then backs out. And even, um, and and I know Tim from a, from a friend of mine named Mark, and Mark had shot a doe. Was that three years ago now? Yes. Almost. Yeah. Yeah, three years ago, and we called Tim out because we knew it was a good hit, um, and it was likely to be found. But at the same time, we looked. Mark looked. Probably after he shot, he waited about forty five minutes, got down, and started looking for blood, and then he ended up losing it kind of at a creek. Um, which was about uh, maybe 80 yards from the shot. So we just, we backed out. Mark called Tim and said, hey, Tim, this probably will be an easy one for you, but not sure if you want to take it or not. And Tim came out and that deer did a few like loops, you know, like mm -hmm. 20 yard, 
20 yard diameter loops and crossed this creek i think three times and yeah, ended multiple up multiple times for sure yeah yeah and tim carried mark and i both times <laughs> all three times <laughs> across the creek that was funny he was the only one who was smart enough to bring hip boots um so yeah we popped back and forth and and funny fact is is we took the long way as to we took the long way to get to this spot on a piece of public rather than taking the shortcut that was more I don't know, full of grass and, and bushes and kind of swampy area. And, uh, if we would have just taken that, we probably would have ran right into the deer. We were pretty close. I mean, the deer ran back to the parking lot. Yeah. We was... didn't know that at the time, but right. yeah, it, it, there's, there's an advantage in, in that case, taking the long way as it leaves what we assume the track direction to be pure as opposed yeah. to walking into it in the middle and so forth so yeah i'm i'm thankful that we did i that's our preference as well yeah. to start at the hit site on the track mm -hmm. yeah and that one was a little uh it, it was a little sparse sparse blood because mark had hit it ended up had hitting it right behind the heart and it got clogged with some um arteries or in, not arteries but like intestines and things like that kind of clogged it so there's spots of blood here and there and choco did a a great job following that. It was it was it was a pleasure to watch her work. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, you, you know if uh, if the deer is standing still, the their their skin and their body lays in one direction, and you put an arrow through that, and then the deer starts moving. the The skin advances and shifts and so forth. So those those lines no lo those openings no longer uh, remain in line, and so yeah. they oftentimes can can uh, cause the external bleeding to stop even though the deer may in some cases be bleeding just as much it's not physically mm. evident on the track sure. to the dog it's viable uh, oftentimes but um, not to the visual eye for sure gotcha okay yeah so jumping backwards to the the, the hit sites and things like that um what were we initially started so waiting an hour before you go and look make your notes um, if you, if you're unsure, if you shoot it and you're unsure, you're like, I don't know if I hit liver. I don't know if I hit guts. I don't know if I hit lungs. It, it could have been quartering a little towards, it could have been quartering a little way. Um, when you go and check that arrow, what is, what are some things that you're looking for? Or what are some things that you want to hear from a hunter? Like, what about this? What about that? Yeah. Uh, so a, a lot of hunters don't find the arrow if you can i recommend absolutely finding it and keeping it a, a number of uh, the tracks that we do they'll they will use that arrow as the marker for the hit site so we mm. can, if we do have to come back to that spot to start a track uh it's clearly marked and it just saves time there yeah but the arrow that oftentimes the fletching will show evidence of the type of blood, um, what type of hair might be uh, trapped on that fletching. Sure. Um, does it smell? Does it smell like uh, barnyard? Does it smell like stomach material? You know, that, that yeah. can be meaningful information. Even though in some cases you can hit it right in the boiler room area that you want if, if that, for whatever reason, arrow took a different turn inside the body it can deflect back and come out with some stomach content on it, right. even though the it was a, a target area hit, for sure. sure. Yeah, I could see that, like a quartering towards shot or something. Yep. If you hit them in the lungs and it just comes out kind of the gut area, it's gonna hold some gut, like 
uh, what do I want to say, gut enzymes or fluid or whatever. Yes. So it'll stink. But at the same time, if you know, like, no, 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 <laughs> I know I hit it, you know, in the front shoulder and obviously I got to pass through cause I found the arrow. Yep. Um, is a pass through, is that the ideal scenario? Like, are you, are you hoping that, uh, when hunters call you that they have a pass through? Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the log, I try to note in there if the deer, uh, still has the arrow in it or if it was a not a pass through and my experience is there's exceptions to everything of course but my experience is if that deer runs off with the arrow still in it the chances of recovery are automatically reduced Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that one is the primary is is that limited penetration is what that means The, the, the full energy of that arrow is in the deer but it did not likely get to the vitals to uh to cause that deer uh the mortal injury within the trackable period of time sure um now in number of cases we'll find the arrow along the track or broken arrow mm-hmm. and in some cases uh you know that that deer can can survive and and the wound will heal over and it there's a lot of variables in there yeah and in some cases it may be two weeks or or that deer is able to move for a, a period of four days and uh, the coyotes take up his track because they're giving sure. off a different scent. And so they find them in the wintertime when they're shed hunting and, and so forth too. Right. So yeah, penetration is ideal. For okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and pass through. And pass through. And I, my, one of my thoughts on that is just like two, two holes to bleed out of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah. if one is lower than the other. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a great that's a great point because in your in your log you you note whether a lot of times whether it was shot out of a blind, um, yes. which I assume you know by default they're shot out of a tree stand. But in your log you always note if it's shot out of a blind, because in my experience shooting I've shot a couple deer from the ground, and both times I didn't get a lot of blood, but when I found the deer there was a ton of blood pooled in the chest yeah just because the shot was higher and we didn't have that that downward angle through mm-hmm. so is it does it seem like deer are easier to recover if they're shot from a tree stand and have essentially the two holes one on the top and one on the bottom well certainly or... certainly our uh, tree stand hunting is is more common okay and uh, so there's a larger number of hunters uh, hunting from that position to give you that angle. Uh, yeah. And so when you get a pass through, you're going to have the lower bleed side if you get a total pass through on it. Right. And that deer may well be, if you took that same shot from a ground blind and it's a more horizontal entry and exit, that deer may well be bleeding just as much. You just don't see it. And so to the eye, um, it's very little blood, right? But to a dog, there's there's it's sufficient there okay. uh, externally. So oh, again, yeah. uh, I, I want to go back also to your pass through and retaining the arrow. Yeah, I find it very helpful for my dog to examine with her nose that that arrow as well, okay. especially if there's other deer in the area, so that she can link into that particular blood content and track content and so forth yeah. so that's meaningful for the dog as well gotcha okay so keep so if you can like that is a very important thing to find that arrow yes yeah. by it far, can be I very helpful it. yes yeah it can be very helpful yes okay 
So, I mean, yeah, we, we, we make a shot. Um, we have a bad shot or we are, we're unsure. Deer runs off. Um, we wait an hour. We go check for our arrow. Say, say we find it and we're like, all right, here it is. It looks like there's gut blood on here or gut, you know, and how do you tell that? Is it just a smell? Predominantly the smell. Sometimes the reaction of the deer will tell you some okay. meaningful information. Uh, a deer uh, that tucks its tail and uh, does a, a rapid trot away, um, sometimes that can mean liver hit or a mm. gut hit. Okay. Yeah. So deer well, reaction is important as well. Yeah, I've always I've I saw in the log mule kicks and I've heard that a lot before. Is that something? I'm not and I don't keep like I don't understand that. Is that uh is that a good indicator as yeah. well? It, generally it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Generally All right, mule it is. kicks are good. Okay. So um so we have so we, we're looking at our arrow, we determine it's gut blood or how can you tell liver? What do you, what would you look for if you think it's liver? Yeah, liver is going to be a very dark crimson, almost oily sometimes, uh, blood. Okay. It, no bubbles. Um, and it's hot liver is on one side and high above kind of above the uh, body area. And so if you think you hit high, um, back by that lung or be just behind the lung uh, a liver is it's a dead it's a deadly shot uh, there are exceptions to again everything I'm we're go reviewing here but uh, we I am aware of liver hit deer that have survived for multiple days we're not trackable but okay. as a rule a liver hit deer is is dead within nine to twelve hours okay got it so then what about um what about lung blood? What does that look like? Yeah, lung lung blood is is pretty exciting. It's what everybody wants to see. Uh, it's going to be a, a brighter, foamier, a lot of bubbles. Okay. Um, generally quite runny compared okay. to like liver blood. There's a lot gotcha. of oxygen in it. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. So it's yeah, what everybody red wants bubbles. to see. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and then what about muscle blood? I know you noted a lot of muscle blood in in your track log. Yeah, muscle blood is is can be a frustration. It, it a muscle hit deer oftentimes will bleed a great deal, and it'll be a bright blood. It can very well have bubbles in it, not as foamy generally okay. than uh, compared to a, a lung hit. Uh, but the thing about muscle blood is it, it's it's a ribbon of blood and then it stops suddenly and okay. those those deer often the muscles uh, have the ability to close off those arteries that are feeding that area after a period of time quite rapidly actually for a, a deer and uh, it you can be tracking uh, this ribbon of blood and suddenly it stops and that's that's an indication of a deer that uh, generally is is muscle hit and and and, and a, uh, fully capable of of moving okay yeah for a period and, of time in a ribbon of blood you're saying is just like a giant you know two three foot long trail of blood that's yes. just like yeah nice and wide and thick and you're like wow there's tons it's of exciting blood. yeah yeah yep. yeah because it's exciting but it's also scary at the same time a little bit of anxiety. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, as, as, a, as a hunter, you're always optimistic that the, the, this mm -hmm. deer is just going to be over the next knoll because I look at all the blood I saw. Right. But then when you get to that next knoll and there's one drop 
and then it quits bleeding and you know that that's the time to back out mm. don't don't spend time uh, grid searching uh, if you're going to call in a dog right. I, I highly recommend bringing in the dog before you gotcha. advance too far I want to get to that that is a great lead-in but I have a so before we get to when to call when to call in yeah um, so what are some common muscle hits that that people have is it just like in the kind of in the shoulder or where can that occur yeah when you consider that the target zone is that uh, front half of the body most of the muscle hits that we see are shoulder sometimes brisket briskets will lead, bleed a great deal as well okay. and most of because of where of course the brisket is uh, a lot of that blood will be external okay and so it'll it'll be an impressive track but uh, that deer is fully capable of moving and and surviving those okay. those hits frequently yeah um, but yeah muscle hits generally shoulder area there's a lot of muscle in the neck if you gotcha. don't hit a artery in the neck, we don't hear about those that hit our arteries as, right. as a handler. Because <laughs> it just tips over. One yeah. that you need a dog for. But if it goes through there and it hits only muscle, that'll bleed a great deal. But mm -hmm. that deer is fully capable of, of moving and, and surviving, provided you didn't hit the throat or esophagus right. area and it doesn't get infection in there. You know, th that deer can survive those neck just hits. Fine. On on a few occasions, you know, uh, there's occurrences where that arrow might have hit a twig or deflected and and hit the ham muscle and so forth, and there that'll bleed a great deal. And again, if you hit an artery, that deer will bleed out. But if it's simply muscle blood, it'll stop just as fast as it started almost. Gotcha. Okay. So after after we shoot our arrow and and we take a look at the blood and everything. When, I guess, based on what situation, you know, these different hits, right? We have liver, we have gut, we have like lung. Lung is generally, especially if you get double lung, if you get two, you know, that's always a tough one is like a one, one lung hit. You know, you get yeah. whatever, eight inches of penetration and you see the foamy, bubbly blood, but you know, you didn't get a pass through and you find half your arrow sitting there. It's always a question of, cause deer can live with one lung for a very long time. Yeah. Um, for for the rest of their life, potentially. Yeah. How do you if yeah. if you butchered a lot of deer yourself, you may have encountered uh, broadheads in the far shoulder mm -hmm. of a, a body as well. So yeah. Yeah, in your yeah in your log, I wrote down a note of zombie deer because there was one in there that someone shot with a, a gun, and we'll we'll get to that one. But that's that's just wild. Um, the uh, so yeah when do you when do you stop and go okay this is this is something that i don't need to that i shouldn't pursue currently like i waited an hour i'm out there because there's certain i mean i've watched deer die and obviously like okay there he is he's dead i'm gonna go walk to him in 20 minutes right because he's dead um but i've also had you know full pass-throughs and some non-full pass-throughs where you know the deer runs off but i'm fairly certain i got great blood i'm spraying good bubbly blood and i'm going after an hour I'm, I'm looking at that arrow i'm like yep and you know we walk 30 minutes and there's the deer and that's that's the ideal scenario sure. right um so how do you know when to say all right i i'm unsure of this i'm backing out and i'm and i'm coming back in in eight hours or i'm calling a dog handler like sure a blood tracker what do i do yeah I, so as as a handler i i would suggest if you have access to a a knowledgeable uh, dog tracking team 
I would encourage you to use them to your advantage. The, the frustrating ones are going to be the ones that you keep thinking that deer has got to be within 100 yards of me because of what I've tracked already. So in, in my advice, I would suggest that when your mind starts thinking, I may not find this deer, that's the time to back out. Okay. That's the time as to soon back out, crosses. give it time. At a minimum, call a handler and, and talk to them about it. One, see if they're available uh, and what their experience would be if, if they encounter a track with the evidence that you've experienced there. And uh, if that handler, for whatever reason, is unavailable or um, not available within the time frame that you need to uh, complete your process, then you can always go back and you can always go back and grid search and you're, you haven't lost right. anything other than a few hours perhaps. And those hours may prove to your advantage depending on yeah. where you hit. There are recommended wait times based on our experiences with uh, the deer yeah. uh, and dog handling and so forth. I remember, yeah, one, I remember one guy said to me one time, what are you in a hurry to lose the deer? Right. <laughs> I, I was like, that's, oh, okay. That's a good question. Right. Yeah. And that, that makes sense. Cause if, if they're dead, they're dead. They're not going anywhere. Yep. Right. So if you're unsure, you know, you back out, you call, you call a dog handler and you're like, Hey, here's the situation. Can you give me some advice? And I remember I, I had a, I had a, I had, I hit a branch coming out of my bow at a, at a deer at 40 yards a few years back. And, um, I hit him in the back leg and that was a, uh, uh, I was like, man, it was low. I don't know, but I know there's the femoral artery back there. Like, what do you suggest? Um, and I called three trackers and all three of them said, if that deer is likely, that deer is either dead in 50 yards or he's not, or he's alive and kicking is pretty much what they said. And they all said, it's not, it's not a track I'm willing to pick up mm -hmm. because it's just the odds are way too low. Yep. I ended up going back and I, I uh, jumped that buck um, about 80 yards from where I shot him the next morning. And he just ran, he ran off sure. and I got him on camera, um, two weeks later chasing does. Mm -hmm. So, um, he was, and he didn't even, you couldn't even tell he was on, he ran past where the, the back leg that I, sh that I had hit. Yep. And, um, and you couldn't even tell, like sure. I had a great picture of him and you couldn't even tell that it was even there. So the hair must've just covered up and it was just a wound, you know, a puncture wound and, and he was off and running. Um, it was a really unfortunate scenario. I'm not, not saying that it's okay by any means that I made that poor, poor shot, but I just did not see this branch right out, yeah. right off the end of my arrow. I think any, anybody that spent time hunting is, is going to have an experience that they didn't anticipate for sure. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. this is not the way I drew this up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't go like this in the movies at all. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay. So, you know, at, at the point that we're sitting there going, all right, I, I don't know, like if I'm going to find this or not, or if I'm concerned about it, then I'm backing out. I'm calling the handler. And if I can get one in there, awesome. Great. If I can't, um, then I'm waiting what overnight, eight hours. What do you suggest on this? Something yeah. Like that? It, I would say the majority of our calls are overnight. Okay. Generally when things get busy, uh, the, the, calls for tracking start coming later in the day as a rule sure. there's exceptions to that too but uh, so waiting overnight 12 hours is common if you if you uh, have reason to believe that you have a gut shot deer um, it depends really on where you think in the gut the front the stomach 
is more towards the front of the deer and so if you get a pass through in that stomach area uh, 12 hours minimum recommendation okay. for that if it's back towards the smaller intestine back towards the hind quarter of the deer the, those are harder they that okay. that deer is likely to expire within a period of time but it'll take longer and there'll be less of a track for that mm. less of a scent track for okay. that so uh, we recommend at least 24 hours in those for cases those. if you, if you can um, liver right. hits 9 to 12 hours okay are, are a good target for those okay for sure. so yeah essentially that backing out and waiting at least nine hours if you're really unsure um, or at least overnight or, yeah, right. yeah, 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 sleep exactly. Yeah. A thing about uh, tracking too soon that we encounter as well is, uh, let's say that you hit a deer, it's, it's going to expire within 12, 14 hours, but you keep, uh, in your effort to recover that deer, keep pushing that deer. Yeah. Um, if, if the shot goes smoothly, that arrow passes through it's relatively quiet but not to a deer of course uh, but the deer has never experienced that before they just know they heard this sound and they felt this arrow pass through them they don't know what caused it but they know that they don't like it so they run off then they get three four hundred yards away maybe and decide I've cleared enough area and I don't feel so good I'm just gonna lay down here and I, under ideal conditions, they expire there. Right. If you track too soon, you bump that deer. That You've educated that deer a great deal. You, you told that deer what caused its pain, what caused the noise, and you also informed that deer that it is being pursued. And so that's a much harder deer to track. Mm. And the other thing to consider is that if you continue to push that deer, you're leaving more of a track for that. And if you track it another 500 yards and then back out at that point, you've left an additional 500 yards of track for maybe a pack of coyotes to encounter that night. And so you've invited an opportunity for competition for the recovery of that deer. Had you waited, I know it's very hard to do because we've been looking at these deer and talking about these deer for all summer long in some cases yeah. several years but patience is a virtue for sure in in mm -hmm. beneficial in that case so uh, avoid pushing the deer yeah oh that that's a great point i need it you know i've never even thought about that you're informing the deer that it's being pursued because mm -hmm. you know if, if you like i mean that's very <laughs> that is eye-opening i i think sure. because now, like exactly how you explained it, if all of a sudden you're hit and you don't know what's going on, you're going to go run away and lay down and go, what is, what is going on? Oh, I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep and just not wake up. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, whereas if you're hit, you run away and you're like, oh, what was that? And then all of a sudden here comes, um, like in your log, uh, grandpa, grandma, you know, kid number two with flashlights. Hey, do you see anything over there? Yeah. Do you see anything? Oh crap! There's something coming after me. It's probably these things. I'm out. Like yep. I'm running, and I'm running a lot further now. Yep. You know, and I'm only stopping for pure pain that I can't go any further. So, and that's when, 
that's when you get these really, really long tracks, it seems like. Yep, and they, they tend to take more evasive actions and, and so mm. forth that they wouldn't have otherwise felt the need to do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I remember one year, and I don't know what it, what it, what happened here. I shot a doe in the morning, um, and Mark actually helped me recover this deer. Um, this was in the good old Platteville days at UW Platteville. Sure. Um, shot it up near Lancaster, and it ran out into the cornfield. Did a loop around the corn. I tracked it on the corn stalks. It was just bleeding. It was mm-hmm. a younger deer. Did a big loop, and then came back into the property and ended up dying about. Oh, I don't know, 60 yards behind me. And I shot it about 30 yards in front of me. So sure. it ran off, did a huge loop and came back. And I'm not saying that that's it. Like I didn't, it was probably dead before I even started looking for it. It was probably back yep. there and I just mm-hmm. never even heard it or saw it or anything. Sure. It just kind of snuck around there. Um, but that was a, a evasive action. And you talk about that in your log too. The deer started meandering. So if you're on a, if, if you shoot a deer and you're on a track and like you, you're on a straight path and all of a sudden it starts curving and coming back and left and right, that is an evasive action. It, it or, can be, okay. Uh, it can be a deer that is confused or maybe it's been disrupted on the rest of its track by other deer or some scent that they picked up as they were, uh, advancing. It, gotcha. There's a lot of variables in there okay. that make it hard to determine. I would say as a rule, especially with the more mature deer, if they feel that they're hit, but they're uncertain what is going on, they'll go to their safe place, whatever that safe place is. Generally, it's their home area, their bedding area, or for mature bucks that are traveling for the rut, uh, they frequently will head toward their home wherever area. they were. I, yeah. yeah, I noticed you noted, noted that in one of your logs, a neighbor calls you and said, I found the buck in his summering area essentially where he was all summer Mm -hmm. his safe place yeah yeah do you notice that deer will run to water at all or no i would not necessarily say that i would say that if water is on the route to their safe place okay uh they they will they will go there all right i have i have a friend who swears by they run to water and i'm like i don't believe you Mm -hmm. (laughs) um Okay, so one of the other things that that's noted on the log a lot is is if we're tracking a deer, like say we we have we think we have a lung or something like that, and we're we're on tracking ourselves, and we're finding multiple beds with blood in it. What is that in a short short distance? I know you noted that a few times, like twenty to thirty yards. There are four beds with blood. Mm-hmm. What does that typically mean? Do you know? I. I... I don't know exactly based on my experience. I've have encountered it before with deer. I would I would guess that in my cases uh, the the deer has been hit and they're unsure what. Um, it, it's if you have reason to believe that that deer is going to try and bed and die, then I would back out and and give it more time before you go go in there again. It, it's possible that. Uh, they were disrupted out of their bed by uh, some other deer or sure um, coyotes or something yeah the egg equipment or whatnot Whatever. as well okay what about um what about i i know you noted a bunch of times whether the deer was was walking or running um what are you what's telling you that how do you how are you going down a path with chaco and going okay this deer is running full on mm-hmm 
Uh, what what tells you that from? Yeah, some sometimes the splash. Okay. The the degree of splash in the the track, the blood that you do see, uh, if it's got a good run to it, that can indicate that that deer was moving and it the droplets hit the ground at a velocity and caused it to run, as gotcha. opposed to a drip drip drip. That's that on a running deer you wouldn't see a drip drip around. Splash gotcha. on, on the vegetation and leaves okay. and so forth. Does does running versus walking indicate whether or not how soon that deer is going to die or not necessarily so? Uh, I I would say that uh, if if you're pushing that deer, the blood will be wet. That's never a good thing if you're tracking a deer and you you're encountering wet blood. Okay. Um, so you want dry? You want it to be dry? Yeah, you don't, well, going back to the, the fact that you don't want to push a live deer. You don't want right. to educate that deer. You are you are pushing a deer that uh, is is moving before you. And, and so my recommendation generally when we encounter a, a deer, even if it's, we've get, given it 12 or 24 hours and we're on that track and suddenly the, the blood track that we're on, which was dry, suddenly becomes wet. That tells me that uh, we busted that deer out of a bed and that deer is still alive. And based on the conditions of the track that I've seen already, I will recommend then to the hunter, this is a live deer at the moment. If you wish, you can, ad I, legally in Wisconsin, we can't hunt with dogs. So that's the time to uh, mm, look into alternatives yeah. with that. Yeah. And so I, I would recommend um, I get out of there with the dog, and you can advance if you wish on your own, or you could wait it out and take it up from here uh, right. in eight hours and see what, what can be done. I don't like pushing the deer generally for the reasons that we talked about and leaving more of a track for other predators to find. Sure. But also with smaller parcels of land, if you push that deer, you there's a possibility that you push it on a neighboring piece of property and that's a whole new landowner yeah. uh, permission issue to No, that's a great well. it's a great time to to talk about that too. Great lead in. Great transition, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what about like let's talk about trespass authority. Let's talk about what that what that looks like. Yeah, so let's say you called me for a track and we decided uh, through our discussion that we'll take it up in the morning. I'm going to recommend that you as a handler get permission from your neighboring property owners to ensure that had we, if we're able to get on that track and that deer does something, even if it's not anticipated direction, travels in a different loop or gets pushed in a different direction than what you think that deer is moving, get permission from the neighbors in that area so that when we get to that property line, we don't have to stop. Every year I have right. multiple calls that uh, for whatever reason they couldn't, didn't get permission, didn't anticipate that direction. And I can show them that we're on this deer, here's evidence, here's the fence line, I have to leave, I will not take my dog in there. If you do, that's at your discretion. But right. I, yeah, it's frustrating for us it's frustrating for the handler and for the well. dog for sure I, well i tell you what uh, when the dog uh, builds a sense of uh, the track as we're 
as she gains more experience with this and and there are there i have been on tracks where she is absolutely certain we are going to get this deer and i swear to god she wants that deer more than the hunter does at that point <laughs> and so it's very frustrating for the dog it's frustrating for the handler it's and it's a letdown for the, yeah. the hunter of course if we oh, can't I... can't get beyond this fence line for yeah. whatever reason i would imagine and, and to the dog it's like why aren't we advancing yes. what's wrong yeah what there's this metal thing in the way i don't care yep let's I, go it's right I've, there i've done this track i told you this is a viable track let's go get it get right. this done yeah yeah oh man okay so yeah that is certainly a best practice if if you're calling a handler whether it's tim or anybody else and you're calling a blood tracker make sure that you get permission and in some of these tracks that you have logged like People are asking for permission if the deer is heading north. They're asking only for permission to the north. Yes. Then all of a sudden the deer does a loop and it's heading south and it's like ah, you know, it's now it's the middle of the day on on a Tuesday and I can't get permission from this guy because he's at work and I don't know his cell phone number mm-hmm. or whatever. Then you're stuck. Yeah. Right? But build those relationships with your neighbors in, in advance. Even if you touch base with them once every five years, at least you have made contact with them. So if you need to call them on short notice, you've Right. You've got that basis for that relationship. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that makes that makes sense. And I've and I've done that at our private property. We know all the landowners around us and I that's not really my my ability. That's my dad's my dad's a chit chatter. He'll yep. go he'll go stop by, Hey, I'm the new landowner. Who are you? <laughs> it's important to have someone like that in your hunting group for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and we're we've already we've had the discussion um with the neighbors. We actually had an incident in year one. Year one, uh, a guy shot. A guy shot a really nice deer. I'll, I'll show it to you. I found the head a couple years later this year, um, but uh, and he did not ask for permission. Mm-hmm. So they just all of a sudden on my trail cameras, I have six guys coming through the property, and I'm seeing a bunch of people and whatnot. Um, and it wasn't, and it's not an issue at all. Like obviously, we're gonna say yes. Like please advance, go get that deer. Um, but it did spark the conversation. Um, at that point to, to call him. And I had the conversation of, Hey, totally get it. Just let me know. Here's my cell phone number. Just call me. And if I have the same thing, can I call you and can I track on your land? And the answer was yes. There's one guy that, um, that we know that is, he kind of, (laughs) I, he doesn't have a car and he lives in a camper on his 40 acres. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's his piece. And he put, I had a tree stand on our property and just the way the tree set up, it was facing his, so it was like 10 yards from the property line. He came over and nailed a piece of cardboard to the tree that said, you are not allowed to trespass or track on my property. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was like, all right, well, apparently if I shoot a deer, it needs to run the other direction because yeah. this guy is not <laughs> letting me come over. People are people. For right. Sure. Yeah. And that is, and that is his right. Right. Yep. So, um, okay. So, you know, we're, if, if we're getting back to the whole blood tracking piece if we're looking we're looking down a track um we're noticing we're, we're like yeah i'm pretty confident um and we're going 50 yards 60 yards 70 yards and you you mentioned this earlier when all of a sudden that ribbon of blood stops that's when you're saying all right guys like we need to we need to stop or what are some other indicators that you need to to stop and back out um is it just a just a lack of blood um, and what is what technically would qualify as a lack of blood? Yeah, I I, I would say more uh, if you've tracked deer for uh, or hunted deer for a period of time, you have a feel for 
the advancement of your track, right? So you, you know where you're going with this track. There's plenty of evidence. I have reason to believe this deer is close by. And then if something occurs in that track that makes you start to doubt that, okay, uh, that's the time to seriously consider a, a dog. When, gotcha. when you start to think that I may not recover this deer. deer so uh, that, and that could be in, you know, what is, what is like a minimum distance? Cause sometimes, you know, you, you'd hate to have someone call you when they've only looked 10 yards past the air. Like I can't find any blood. I'm, I'm out. I don't know. Yeah. And then you go 30 yards and there's a dead deer. Right. Um, so I, is there like a minimum distance that you should at least look around the arrow site? Yeah, you, you could, you could, you should mark that last blood uh, okay. to get back there as you, if you do have to come in with a handler or if a handler is not available and you need to grid search, find some way to mark that uh, with a flagging tape or toilet paper or whatnot in, in the tree or on your GPS, which, you know, those GPS is only so accurate yeah. anyway. And it looks different in the dark if you have to come back in the yeah, dark, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would not, and if you plan to bring in a dog, I would not recommend walking every which direction okay. in an effort to pick up that trail again. Okay, so the, but there is there like is there say well have you walked twenty yards where you think the deer went? Did you find any blood? I, or did I think you not it's find blood I think or? it's uh, <laughs> oftentimes when we get on a track we find or the dog tells us that the hunter did more searching than they said they did or wanted okay. to admit, admit to uh, on the in the phone interview sure. as well. Yeah. Okay. I mean it's natural. You yeah. you've invested several hundred yards in this effort uh mm -hmm. but again your your indication is that feeling inside your mind that i can't imagine where this deer went i i thought for sure well, we would yeah. have it by now if you start to doubt it at least contact a sure. a tracker before you get in there with uh with the grid search the the image that is helpful with that is uh i'm gonna imagine uh a uh, a football field after a four inches of fresh snow you know how clean that football field looks and uh, some kids a kid comes and runs through that football field meanders through that football field in their own path and then that child leaves the area you come in there with the buddy and you ask your buddy to get on that track and follow the the track that the kid took well that can be what it's like for a tracking dog if it's a clean track but if instead you bring three other friends and they walk crossways on that original track and they double back on it and they get on their hands and knees and they crawl a little bit under some of the bru imaginary brush that might exist and and so forth and then they leave the area and you come back in with that buddy that was tracking before and you tell them to get on the original track only don't deviate stay on only the original track that was made here that can be what it's like That's for tough. a uh, a dog after a, after a, a grid search effort or even a, an indiv yeah. individual search effort it it messes with the track it picks up 
the scent of that deer every time it gets crossed it might bring it back it might contaminate it with other uh, evidence that is highly meaningful for a dog but uh, if it's contaminated or messed up you know it's it reduces the chance of recovery oftentimes in those areas okay and that yeah that's a very that's a great uh what is it a metaphor for like how a dog could see it as a clean everyone knows what a clean track looks like through a fresh snow yes right um and that is except maybe not people in the south but (laughs) but it is a very clean and clear clean and clear uh uh path to follow and when you get in there and muck it all up mm-hmm. and not even not only and some people might be thinking well that's just human scent the deer the dog should be able to follow deer scent my thought there would be like you're probably putting your human scent over that deer scent you could be moving that deer scent around um you could just be mucking up the track like all together and just clouding you know making yep. it foggy for that dog to you might not... have accidentally stepped on a a spot of blood or uh, body fluids of that deer and walked in a different direction than what the deer traveled and yeah, yeah it disrupts the the route the that yeah. the deer took so is there okay yeah so is there any um is there anything we haven't covered like best practice for if you're gonna call in a dog a dog handler is there like a, a a steps to follow or a best practice for that you know obviously it's it's try do your best to find the arrow and and after you find the arrow call in or if you can't find the arrow then call in don't go grid searching don't grab everybody and their brother to come out and start looking for you um i noticed that in in one of your logs you were out there with kind of it seemed like a family and they weren't really listening and they were just kind of doing what they felt like doing and um, everybody was hooting and hollering, and you said it was hard for Choco to focus. Yeah, it's very, for my dog, it's very disruptive. I, I don't generally object to multiple people coming along on a track, but when they start separating behind, when we're on a track, the dog is out in front, she's got a harness on, she's got a 30-foot leash, and then, then I am on the end of that leash, and then the hunter is at some position behind me following us and oftentimes there's other helpers behind the hunter and sometimes those helpers will tend to want to say well we're going in this direction I'm just going to go up on that knoll and see if maybe the deer is out ahead of us well that's disruptive highly disruptive to the dog at least my dog and you know that that's meaningless because we do not want to be tracking a deer that's alive so it's it's not if i have evidence that that deer is still alive i'm likely to back out anyway so okay. the idea of getting in front and getting to a viewpoint and checking to see if if i can uh, see that deer in in front of us is not beneficial right cuz i mean if it's dead you're going to find it anyway Yes. Right? And you can always go look for it on that knoll later. Yes, like exactly. Always, yeah. You can always go take a peek tomorrow. Okay. What about, um, I have noted here, one of the other things you note all the time is weather conditions. Yeah. You know, um, it, it seems like there are certain weather conditions and, that are good for tracking and certain weather conditions that are bad. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. I love this cooler weather that we're getting. Yeah. I think most hunters... Probably yeah, do you wake up. Well it's fifty time. degrees. It's it's fall. I know. It's Why did fall. I sleep in? It's only four thirty, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and uh, so the the 
uh, cool weather uh, with humidity in the air is ideal for tracking. Okay. Uh, in the fall, last, last year we had a couple of uh, fall days that were hot and windy and sunny all day long. Um, that it's very disheartening those days are that that mm -hmm. those conditions especially on a sunny slope in a forest floor uh, evaporate the scent content it, it evaporates the moisture actually and the moisture is what carries that scent so uh, okay. those those can be really hard conditions to track in or they they age very rapidly maybe that's a better way mm. to say it in some cases, if there is some level of humidity in the air and the wind dies down at night, uh, that moisture can fall on that track and rejuvenate it. Or if you get a misty rain, a light rain, uh, rains actually can be beneficial in that they can rejuvenate a, a track for sure. Or in some cases, they wash it away so visually you can't see it, but yeah, uh, it's it's... It's hard for a handler or tracker, a hunter, to imagine a track here, but the scent is still there, and it's actually the rain has uh, excited that scent line Got for it. the dog. So, yeah, that's okay. that's when those are the tracks that, that it's really cool to ex be able to experience those. But those are the tracks that the the entire track, whether it's 100 yards or 900 yards, has to go through two little quarter inch orifices and the end of your dog's nose before you can complete any of that and so yeah. all of it is predicated on the dog's ability to pick it up and then your ability to read and work with that dog based on what the dog's body language is telling you and those are yeah. really there it's uh it's very interesting to watch those and experience what those tracks are like for sure yeah, because I, I mean, you noted in your in your log a bunch of times, like, Choco is a rock star on this one. Yeah. There are certain tracks that she just knocks out. It's a she, right, Choco? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, she, uh, yeah, there are certain tracks that she just knocks out and, and runs them for, you know, 1,000 yards or 800 yards. Yeah. Um, and she's just on it the whole time. I remember there was a, there was one on the log where, where a guy's like, no, the deer went this way. And you're like, no, Choco says she went this way. And here she is. Yeah. <laughs> Here's this deer right Here's here. Here's the deer. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, uh, so, I mean, the weather conditions, and I think that plays the weather conditions and, and dry, um, warm, and windy are, are great and awful for a hunter in the sense of awful for tracking, great for actually hunting right because your scent yeah. is being blown in a very specific direction and it's not sticking um whereas like there's a bottom that i like to hunt and on humid mornings i know that my scent is just sitting there and pooling sure right and it's and it's hard to get a deer within 20 yards at that point mm -hmm. <laughs> um but um but for the for the hunter like it you know a lot of people like to hunt cold fronts right and big mm -hmm. wind systems coming through big big weather systems coming through and that will a lot of times bring rain so, you know, a cold front's coming through on a Friday night at midnight, um, and you go out Friday afternoon to hunt, and you're like, oh, gosh, you know, you get a you get a good shot on a buck, but you're not quite sure, but the rain's coming at midnight, and that pushes a lot of people into thinking, okay, what do I do? Sure. So what is the, like, if, if a rain is coming, and you have a deer that's hit, what's the best, you know, what's the best case scenario in that? 
I would suggest uh, contacting a tracker after after your hit and uh, seeing if they're available. Uh, night tracks can are certainly viable. Okay. Um, and and you know, short of a, a flood, uh, the rain is not is not meant to be a deterrent for a tracking dog. Okay. So that is, so even if it rains. Because I know that's pushed me into wanting to track sooner than I needed to. Like you yeah. know, you have a you have a an iffy hit. You're not quite sure. You're like, I'm just gonna leave them lay overnight. And I'll come back tomorrow morning, and then all of a sudden you look at the weather and it's like 1 a.m. Big storms coming in, and you're like, your in mind instantly is like, my blood trail is gonna disappear. I need to go. Sure. So in that scenario, it's kind of like, well, I see the weather coming in, but a, a blood dog should be able to figure this out anyway. Yeah, you are think you are thinking of that track being washed away visually, yeah. in which that may well be accurate. But to the dog, that's not the case. The, okay. That rain will, unless it's a flood that actually washes, physically washes it with running water. Uh, it should yeah, be fine. It should be fine. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. That's great to know. I, I'm, I will certainly, because that is one of my, one of the things that I hate about hunting, in the rain or around a rain is I'm afraid of losing losing mm-hmm. the deer if if I shoot it. You know, you you shoot a deer and you're following a blood trail and the rain just washes it away. But now, in the back of my mind, it's well, no, I can just call a dog and it's yeah. and I'll just leave it. You know, um, what is what do most people what do most people charge for bringing in a dog do you is does everybody different and everyone does their own yeah, thing or that, is there that's a, a rough... that's a good question and and i i would say yeah it, we're all uh independent here okay. in the state of wisconsin um it's it's an independent group so uh, we charge according to our plans and our own entities yeah, uh, some people do it for uh, donations. Some people charge um, according to the what the market will bear in their areas. If they're an extreme uh, trophy hunting area, where people are spending thousands of dollars for a trophy opportunity uh, already, you know what's what's a, a few hundred, hundred dollars. dollars. Yeah. Uh, one thing to realize is that as a ch- handler we oftentimes have an at least an hour drive one way so that's two hours mm-hmm. minimum road time at average and then our the track time is uh it varies but once we're dedicated to a track that's where we are at whether it's 10 minutes or five hours so um some some people charge according to hours I do not. I just I quote a, an approximate price. Right now, it's you know uh, I, I suggest to the handler that if they're going to bring the hunter, if they're going to bring in meat or any other, plan to spend at least a hundred dollars. Okay. Um, beyond that, as a uh, handler, you know things get busy and hectic with the dog, and so uh, most handlers that do it regularly have vet bills that are unanticipated cut feet mm. torn ears uh injuries from 10 days in a row of yeah of four tracks five tracks a day and in right. the night and so forth so you mentioned multifloral rows i i've learned to hate multifloral rows especially in the dark but i understand that's the environment and i fully understand also that if 
my dog tells me that's the direction the deer went, then that's the direction she goes, and that's the direction and path I have to go as well. <laughs> right. And yeah. so, yeah, there's there's expenses. Uh, there's not a lot of hunters, uh, not a lot of handlers that make money uh, tracking. Okay. Um, but it helps to defray the costs that we have. Yeah, with the animal and the equipment and training and all that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It, it takes a uh, to to get into dog recovery with uh, deer. It, it it takes a great deal of training and uh, it's very time consuming yeah um, doing those you want to you want to do as many practice tracks as you can to educate the dog but then at a certain point the actual tracks is what educates them right and there's all kinds of scenarios that you can and cannot anticipate including backtracking of a we've all seen deer that come to the edge of a field stand there for a period of time and instead of advancing into that open field, they backtrack and then do a 90 degree off from where they were at. So yeah, right. that stuff happens on tracks too. And you can't benefit from visually having seen that deer do it. You have to uh, allow the dog to work that through and that takes right. experience as well. Yeah, I, I can imagine that it's not something that you can just go, okay, I have a blood tracking dog. She knows what to do now, yep. Yep. <laughs> right? It's got to work for it and work at it. and. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to I wanted to get that out there so people aren't thinking like it's a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, and it might be in like some very certain areas like Buffalo County or something. I don't know, but at the same time, there is that I wanted people to know that there is a cost associated with it, and everybody's different. Um, and and yeah, just uh, if if the deer like I would certainly to me personally, um, whether I shoot a deer and it's a doe or it's a giant buck, and I'm unsure. Like I, for the respect of that animal, I would certainly like if I can't find it, call call the call the dog in. Yeah. Um, if I'm not doing well, I, I would say the majority of tracks that I do are uh, bucks. Yeah. And I, with few exceptions, I rarely charge for does and fawns. Okay. Even though I still quote the price just so that the hunter is aware that they actually that that think expense. about it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and I don't want to discourage them from doing In fact, I want to encourage hunters to call for does and fawns yeah. as well. But I want them to be aware that there are expenses on the part of the handler to right. to do this as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And and you can always charge them if they're jerks. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Or, or if they, they, in some cases, hunters need to be motivated to uh, learn that they have mucked up a track <laughs> and sometimes yeah. the pressure of money is is an education mm -hmm. element yeah to not well. do that again yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that makes sense um one of the other things we talked a little bit of, or you talked a little bit about on your log or you noted was vegetation yes um that plays an important role in the track can you talk talk a little bit about that yeah vegetation and terrain and so forth it, it the deer went where the deer went whatever that is and oftentimes they can travel through all all kinds of terrain vegetation and so forth i personally have found that uh, low areas are some of my favorite areas to to hunt in for the reasons that you mentioned earlier in the uh, uh, 
hunt site that you talked about where the moisture and uh, scent just pools in that area. Yeah. The nice nice thing for me about uh, tracking in a, a swampy area is there's a lot of grass. Generally, there's a lot of grass and a lot of moisture in there to hold that deer scent. And so uh, it, it, even on those dry, hot days when the wind is blowing, that wind will travel above the the grass, the cattails and so forth. Okay. And so that scent remains in that track. Uh, and if there's water in there, it, it may visually wash away in the blood in the water itself. But there will be scent up against the reeds and so forth where the deer had traveled. But gotcha. Yeah, w we find as a rule uh, those are very successful tracks. Successful in the respect that the dog is able to get on the track right. success is a very hard thing to define for deer tracking oftentimes the what i would consider a, a very highly successful track doesn't have a dead deer on it but it tells it's an indication from me that the the dog did very well on, right. on this track yeah because you can't as a as a dog handler you can't force the deer to die you didn't take the shot no right your your success and your objective is to put choco on that track and have her run it until you find wet blood you jump the deer you find the dead deer or it goes to a property boundary and you or you lose like the the track is just totally lost mm -hmm. right that's that's the objective right is to get her on that and some of them i mean you have, and the log here, one of them's over a mile. One of them's, you have 1,700 yards that you've tracked it. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, they're not, There's there's been a couple. I know there's one guy that you said uh, just met you and said, oh, I just want to see the dog work. I shot, a, I shot a fawn this morning. Can you just come track it for me? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's dead, <laughs> right? But um, just wanted to see it work. And, you know, that's a 40-yard track, 50-yard track. And in one of them, you mentioned, like, it was a gimme for Choco right um are those like if you're interested in seeing a dog work um and i remember mark telling me this once is like confidence for the dog is pretty big and actually finding the deer is pretty big if you're interested in seeing a dog work a track and you're fairly certain like you get to the arrow and you got double long and you're like yeah this deer's very likely dead is it worth calling you to to do that or are you like no don't call me on stuff that I'm yeah I, that's a good question I appreciate you pinpointing that in this discussion uh, I would say as a handler we absolutely love working with our dogs and there's a certain period of time generally here in Wisconsin it starts um, it in October although there are exceptions there are places that get busy right away uh, but if we aren't booked for a track even even if it's a gimme track we would love to get a dog on it and you okay. we can do practice tracks all day long they cannot replicate the really? variables that you would see in a l actual track gotcha. and so even gimme tracks can be an education for the dog or something more to build upon that and share the experience it, it's it's really cool to see a, a dog working a track you know we did a, a track last year where the hunters push the deer too early, push it into a bunch of coyotes. And we went there in the morning. Um, they hadn't known that the coyotes had taken the deer yet, but we went there in the morning and, and they had spent three hours, I think it was, uh,
trying to track this deer through the brush and vegetation and I got there with the dog and we covered that ground in 20 minutes. It was just, the hunter was overwhelmed with how rapidly this dog can advance on a track that took us forever to to move to this point. Yeah. Oh, and that could, <laughs> I can easily see how that could save you like hours of, of anxiety in your own head, mm-hmm. right? Tr- trying to trying to track at night, where's next blood? Like it seems like if you take three steps and there's not blood, you're freaking out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can, lost? right. Yeah. And you, yeah, you can just have the anxiety about it. Whereas calling a dog and they're like, oh yeah, it's over here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Here's um, evidence right there. Yeah. 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 And you bring up a good point because it seems like in your log, um, a lot of tracking is happening on, on opening weekend. Um, again, in like the first week of October. And then it's just packed from October 20th to November 15th. It seems like that's when. Yeah, that's in this geographical area. I'm aware yeah. of other parts of the state that get busy right at opening season and remain busy. But it's okay. The, the idea and the concept of bringing in a tracking dog is becoming more and more popular. So mm-hmm. every year there's more, uh, more calls for that. Yeah. Hunters are more receptive to the idea. Yeah, I don't. I I, I just I don't think it's. I can't imagine someone saying no. I don't want a dog. I can imagine people just not knowing or not wanting to pay for it or thinking they can find it themselves. Well, it's just over this ridge. You know, it's just it's just over this next bend. I know it's just behind here. Yeah. So, yeah, I could certainly see that. Um, all right. So um, when you say, um, where was the next one? Um, we talked about that. You had a. I want to jump into a few of these, a few of these fun ones that I, <laughs> that I read in your track or in your log. Um, it, at some point, I want to also go over where to, how to find a tracker too. So yeah, it, okay, it yeah, yeah. Let's perfect. let's do that right now because okay. I I want to like this is what we're. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover that you think is pertinent for people to know about when they hit a deer and if they're unsure of the shot? I feel like we covered most of it. Yeah, we did cover most of it. Uh, I every year I f- I am reminded that uh, without regard to what the hunter feels about the track or about the deer, and also without regard to what I believe based on what they're telling me, uh, it really is up to the dog. And so okay. we can get to a track that I assume and the hunter believes is a viable and immediate track but the dog may feel otherwise based on the evidence that uh, he or she my dog is a female uh, sees in that spot so um, I I can't anticipate this direct ratio of uh, I'm going to use the word success on that track until I get onto it okay um, but there's there's a variety of trackers available that if if you uh, feel that uh, you'd like to talk to other trackers about that, you know that's always an option. As sure. Well. Yeah, because because not and that's a good point. Is like just because someone calls you doesn't mean you're accepting that yes. accepting that track, right? Because there are certain. I mean, there's like I mentioned earlier. You know, when I call when I hit that deer in the back leg, the hunter the handlers were like it's not a track that I'm going to put my dog on because the probability of success is yep. so low. 
right? Yeah, so there there can be there can be situations where there's still value in doing that track. It it brings closure to the hunter, especially if this is a deer that they've been uh, watching grow for a period of years and ha- have been setting their uh, goals toward. Right. Um, they they want to know for sure that uh, that this deer is or is not mortally hit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he, having an experienced set of eyes and a dog on that can reaffirm some of their conclusions. Yeah, yeah I noticed in your log you said a lot, of, a lot of these, not a lot, but there were like five, six entries that were like Hunter really wanted closure. Mm-hmm. Like they just wanted to know where am I at? What am I, what's my standing right now? Yep. Especially there was a first time hunter in there. That was. It's meaningful I, for, to them. Yeah. For sure. Oh, I, but I can, I mean, the first deer I ever shot, you know, died within view and that was a great experience for yep. me. Like I got to see it, it died, everything. And the third animal I shot, I lost, mm-hmm. you know? So it was kind of one of those things that was like, it was so disheartening. I can imagine like if that's your first experience, that is really. Sure that's a tough experience to have you know you you start to question a lot of things yeah. right yeah i mean every time i every time i've lost an animal you like god how am i going to get better how am i going to not yep. have this happen again um so ha- having said that i i will also say that uh, when things get busy i wouldn't use the term cherry picking but we need to focus on the tracks that we believe have a dead deer to recover at right. the end as a as a handler you can only do so many tracks in yeah. a day. And Come on, so, Tim. 24 hours, man. Well, you yeah, so keep going. <laughs> I think they're still working on this cloning issue. And once they do, and then I clone myself and clone my dog, and then we'll have twice the fun. Right. Uh, so how can, so if people want to find a, find a tracker, how can they do that? What's the best route? So here in Wisconsin, there's a couple of avenues uh, through uh, a, a number of bow clubs and so forth. Uh, most of our tracking is archery related. There, there's a, It drops off significantly at deer season, but most of it is hunting, uh, bow hunting. So uh, archery clubs oftentimes will be a good link to that. There is a, a Facebook group uh, here in Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin Deer Tracking Network, and I encourage you to join that and follow that group. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good discussion that goes on there. I'll put and, that in the for everybody listening. I'll put that in the um, podcast notes. Wisconsin Deer Tracking Association. Association. Yep. Okay. Or network. Gotcha. Network. Okay. And and a number of states uh, have uh, similar. Uh, Facebook groups and okay. most of those are to my knowledge they're run by an administrator who's a highly active tracker and then those that are listed as approved trackers are also channeled through there so mm. let's say that you are hunting uh, in an area that's uh, a distance from me not viable from for me to track you can go to there post a, a requirement you post uh, what county you're hunting in and so just some general information and post it on there and then the administrator will uh, advise uh, who's your local trackers sure. that are and help you out. qualified in that area and generally they're uh, well experienced trackers trackers that are dedicated to the point where they use their vacation time or uh, you know vacation nights Right, <laughs> and there's a lot of people that don't sleep. A lot of handlers that I'm aware of that don't sleep. But I don't know how they don't sleep. They get through, um, but yeah, they can operate weeks on end with six hours or less of 
of sleep. sleep. Yeah. And I know this because they're tracking, they're posting photos at 2 a.m. of deer and their comment is, I'm off to another one. So, yeah. (laughs) So nationally, there's uh, a United Blood Trackers and that's a very active site as well. And I recommend investigating that. The nice thing about the United Blood Trackers is you can go to their website and there's a tab that is labeled uh, find a tracker, I believe, Mm. and you can uh, select that tab and enter a zip code of where you're at and it'll populate a list of uh, tracker members that uh, are within your proximity and it'll list your their contact information and their distance their proximity to your uh, zip code or gotcha. community your town would what not so okay yeah both of those are, are good resources a number of awesome. other states have Facebook groups as well yeah and I I know that I have well, I have obviously have your phone number in my phone now, um, but I know previously like I had a couple saved and I just named them like, I th- like Amanda Blood Tracker, you know. So then sure. if that ever happens, I just type into my phone Blood Tracker and I it would pull up multiple people listed. Um, yep. Yeah, because sometimes you can't get a hold of the person, mm-hmm. right? And then you're well, a lot of times hunting scenarios you don't have great service, and so now you got to go back and. And try to find service and call somebody and all that stuff. And sure. so I always just like to have that person in yep. my phone. So I can just call them right then. Like, all right, what do I do? <laughs> yep. Yep. Get, um, get directly to the contact. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And I noticed every tracker I called um, with that with that deer in the leg, um, they all wanted to know the outcome. They all said, please, please shoot me a text with the outcome. Yeah. Because they're all very interested. It's like a continual source of information for them as to what is lethal, what is not lethal, and what a deer does versus what it doesn't do and yep. all that. Yep. We love to receive uh, feedback from the hunter if they encounter that deer alive or dead uh, after the fact. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, shed hunting, you know, frequently I'll receive a text message or a photo of of uh, the hunter found the deer while shed hunting, found the carcass of the deer. Um, right. But who knows, you know, and oftentimes in those cases, those are deer that uh, may take two weeks to die. Right. I'm aware of a, a one lung deer that we tracked a couple years ago that uh, survived for nine days uh, and and then expired. Yeah. So sometimes it can take a while. I, yeah. Yes. And that is the, I, I am a proponent of heavier arrows to get that pass through to yes. get both lungs um and it sounds like from what from what you're saying in terms of tracking that is that is important as well and i think it's important to note that uh like a lot of people like the a linear relationship between um your bow and your arrow is would essentially be you know the stronger the bow the stronger the arrow the weaker the bow the weaker the arrow in terms of, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say weaker. I should say stronger the bow, the heavier the arrow. The the lighter the bow, the the lighter the arrow. Mm-hmm. And it actually is a little bit of an inverse situation. The the lighter bows that you have, like a a, a person who's shooting 45 pounds or 50 pounds and has a 27 inch draw, they should have a fairly heavy arrow because they need more energy to get through that animal. That's yep. why one of the things I always point to is like traditional archers. Guys who shoot recurves, they're shooting 180 feet per second and they are still getting pass-throughs when you have people who are shooting the most advanced compounds 
and are not getting pass-throughs at deer at closer distances. You know, to, to me, that is a direct correlation to the weight of the arrow um, and the ability for of, of that bow to put that arrow through the animal. And, yeah. and two holes, better than one, especially for, for tracking purposes. Yeah, if you look at any tracker's log, you'll see that, it, you know, if the deer runs off with that arrow still in it, it the chances of that being a trackable deer uh, are already diminished to a certain okay. degree, for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. So a couple moving on to a couple fun ones. Um, this is a, I want to read this note and because it made me, it made me laugh in a, in a bad way, but it made me go, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, limited blood arrow fell out. Hunter claims good hit blood stopped and deer was following a doe. We found one speck of blood 400 yards from POL point of loss. Point of loss. Yep. Yeah. We air searched the area, which I actually want to talk about, um, but nothing further. Deer had been rolled by a truck by the neighbor 10 days prior. Dat, dot, 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 resilient deer. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this this buck had been hit by the neighbor. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's pretty crazy. So It's amazing what the deer, especially the mature bucks, can and do uh, accomplish when they get become rut-infused in the fall for sure yeah oh, i believe it yeah that date was uh, uh november 2nd so yeah sure. for sure um in air searching you, you you found there's a lot of deer that you found via air searching in here what is can you can we talk about that yeah so so uh, on on occasion when a track seems to evaporate uh, sometimes it can be helpful to uh, walk around in the downwind area of where you believe that deer went to see if the dog can pick up the scent of a an expired deer mm -hmm. and uh, it's not it's not always successful but it is successful enough that it's noteworthy in in the records for sure yeah, yeah. okay yeah and i noticed like there are a couple a couple that like in hilly areas um the scent tends to pool lower on yes. that hill fall down so i know like there was a couple tracks that you found the deer and choco um wanted to either go down to the pool like wanted to leave the That's actual the deer was. for yeah. the scent lower on the hillside or like there was one that you tracked and then you went to backtrack to to kind of reset and you just took her off the trail and all of a sudden she picked up that scent and he was just up the hill because it was pooling downhill coming from above yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was able to come find that, and it was only five yards off the trail or something. There's a another one in here that you found um, found the deer uh, like about ten feet off the four wheel path that the people had been driving <laughs> <laughs> all morning. Yeah, that that was an interesting one. I couldn't, we couldn't get to that track until uh, later in the day, and it had been off and on raining all day long. And when we got there, there was a splash of blood at the hit site. And uh, there was n nothing beyond that. And I don't recall, we, we maybe took that three, four hundred yards uh, down a tree line and so forth. And we're walking along this tree line. There's a two track that the hunter had been traveling on with his UTV multiple times, going back from the hit site, going up to the yard uh, to make some calls, to find a tracker, to have lunch. He had. I believe traveled that at least a half a dozen times and we were walking along 
uh, on the track, the dog was dedicated to this effort, suddenly turns and does a 90 degrees. She walks five feet and the deer was tucked underneath this log, absolutely hidden. It was a very dark bodied deer anyway. I didn't see it until the dog was on top of it as well. And the hunter <laughs> was amazed that he had been within yards of that deer so many times. And never and even knew it. Never knew it. Uh, well, at least it was an easy drag, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, the uh, This one I thought, I, I just put my note here, is this is pretty epic. Um it was a gut shot, high grassy area, rain off and on, all day long, no sign of blood or hair at the shot or anywhere along the track. Deer went onto the neighbor property and the guy got permission. Choco Rock starred this track. It was an easy track for her. At one point in the track, the hunter said, I think he went this way. I believe I saw blood over here. Choco said, no, he went straight. Come with me and I'll show you. <laughs> the deer was 10 yards further down the trail, tucked under a tree. Um, so the hunter didn't see it that I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, that one had exceptionally high or tall grass in it too. It was over our heads. And so mm -hmm. we were parting grass to walk through that area. And, and we were almost upon that deer before I knew it. I'm sure the dog knew it, but yeah, it yeah. went in that tall grass on a narrow path like that. I'm following a, a lead. I can't oftentimes see the dog in some of those environments and so she was there on the actually the, the what happens in those cases is the lead goes soft uh, the, oh we try to maintain a certain level of pulling tension yeah, um, yeah tension against the dog and uh, if the dog if the leash goes lead goes soft um, the dog is not moving and she was on top of the deer <laughs> oh that's cool yeah um another one here is a gun season hunt hunter's first hunt with his ar rifle grindle round and he hit it in the shoulder deer was at least five and a half years old had a bullet hole in one year the other year was torn had two arrow wounds on his neck um just behind the head had an arrow in the shoulder blade too attract the same deer in 2019 when the person hit him in the shoulder we called it a living deer and and could not track it very far <laughs> my comment there was is this a zombie deer <laughs> i mean that deer is one tough sob yeah for sure like that is that is wild yeah um, their desire to uh, find does and pass on their genes in that rut is it's amazing what they do but it also says a great deal about what you know we as hunters we hunt for the adrenaline for the excitement for the yeah for that joy and so it's it's uh it's the whole reason we're out there but don't let that overwhelm your ability to focus on what you need to when you shoot a, a deer uh try to focus on a particular hair or uh, a particular spot uh, maybe a shadow in the uh, boiler room area of the deer that's highly effective the fact that there were so many injuries on the neck and near those antlers uh, informs me that subconsciously hunters are focusing on those spines above the deer's head and that's not what is going to get you results right yeah that's that's one of those one those things when you see a nice buck coming you just go okay it's a good buck look away from the antlers yeah right don't focus on them it's just, a it's yeah. a one that i want to shoot 
focus on that that shoulder right behind that shoulder sure. blade. Yep. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, and the last one that I wanted to to touch on, there's at, you know there's a lot here, but for the sake of time and just we we talked about a lot of them already, um, in different ways, but um, you have two two hunts um, where where people where where this occurred. Um, the hunter shot the do- shot at dark last night. The deer traveled eighty yards off the main path. The hunter searched in the dark, but deer was dead ten yards off the path, so no glowing eyes and no no blood. Very easy track for Choco. Appeared to be hit high in the back. Little external blood on the track. There were a few bone chips at hit site. That's not the that's not the one I wanted to talk about. It's here. After this quick track, we went to their house. He had shot a doe the day but two days before. The deer dropped. The guy got out of his stand, went to his house to put his gun away, then came back to get the deer and it was gone. Yeah. In a cut alfalfa field, there was no hardly any blood and clear ag fields for over 400 yards. Put Choco on it and she took it over the hill but could not pick up the dead deer. He, We suspect a shocked spine. And there's another one in here that's also a shocked spine. What Can you explain that? Yeah, the, along the back... The, the back straps that we love to eat so much, there's there's really kind of a dead zone along that top stretch of the deer. So if you hit that with a bullet or you hit it with a, an arrow, you send a shock through the deer and it drops in its spot and lays there, uh, leaving you the impression that this deer is dead and mine and I can almost taste it already. It's not the case. That deer, uh, if hit in that area, is capable of uh, recovering, and it gets up, and it's fully capable of surviving as well as moving. So those are the deer that will surprise you because uh, you believe that this deer was there waiting for you, and it's when gone. you go there, it's it's gone. Yeah, it's right. gone, and, and usually they don't get up and walk away. They get up and run away with... A, their own motivation to uh, put <laughs> distance between you yeah yeah and that's i i guess the takeaway from that is if if you drop a deer even with a bow um, get out there and go check that thing because <laughs> it's entirely possible Confirm. like if you don't see the arrow yeah or especially a gun mm-hmm. you know if you don't see that like the blood pouring out of it you can go up there and that deer could certainly be alive i mean even if you do hit them in the spine they can be alive and you should go up there to, to shoot them again just in the vitals too finish them yep. you know quicker than let them let them expire that way yeah as you get close watch for breathing and uh oftentimes look at the eyes if the eyes are uh open um that can it be an indication that this sure. deer is is still alive and uh, uh the eyes are open the deer is expired if the eyes are closed or held barely uh open uh that deer is is trying to uh, deceive you yeah gotcha okay Awesome. Well, that's all I got. Do you have anything else, Tim? No, I want to say <laughs> I, I appreciate the opportunity to share some ideas and stories. And as a handler, we love love to track uh, deer and we love to talk stories of yeah. handling uh, tracks. So, yeah. No, I appreciate you making the trip out here. This is my first in-person podcast in months. Yeah. You know, and it's not it's not because people are afraid to come see me. It's mainly because people are are busy, and now everybody is just totally fine with doing a, a Zoom call or an internet call at the same some people yeah. time. But thankfully, you're in the area and interested in coming, so I I, I appreciate it. 
Um, where can, if people are in kind of the Madison, what's the territory that you cover and are you okay with giving out your information so that people can find you? I am on the northeast side, edge of Madison, maybe a uh, half hour away. There's, there's quite a number of highly qualified trackers here in uh, the Madison area. But okay. our our site on the on Facebook is uh, Deer Recovery Blood Tracking. That's my team. Okay. Um, but yeah, you can contact the network, or uh, the network actually has a map of uh, trackers within the state of Wisconsin, and most other uh, groups have their own Facebook page with, with uh, like numbers and so forth as well. Gotcha. Okay, that's perfect. So yeah, if you're in the area and yeah. You know, you want to call in a dog, look them up um, on Facebook or on the United Blood Tracking Association, and um, I'll have this all this stuff in the show notes. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I know I learned a lot talking to him today, so I, I appreciate it. And um, if you guys have a chance, um, what was it? If you have a chance, you know, please subscribe to the, to the podcast. Um, if you liked it, you know, give me a thumbs up, whatnot. Um, and, um, yeah, if you ever need any help, and you're unsure of your shot just give a tracker a call and they'll certainly help you out because like tim said that people just like working with their dogs and there's people like tim who go on you know close to 100 tracks a year and most of us do one maybe two right um and hopefully we're not tracking very far but you know it all it always happens so yeah give them a ring and they can give you their experience yeah we we get called in on the surprise one so (laughs) happy hunting all right thanks guys